Welcome back once again to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again today. And what a blessing it is to hear from so many of our listeners. Some of you that you contact us by email, others you give us phone calls. Some actually write us letters, the old snail mail, which, which is still great as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, most people, they'll send us emails or they'll give us a phone call. Some might even text us. Go to our website, and then they'll contact us through our website at www.churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. It's great to hear from our listeners, however uh, you, you choose to contact us. We're thankful for that. Many here in the Omaha area actually come by and visit with us and worship with us and study with us right from God's Word as we come together as the church each Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And you are always welcome to do so. We'd love to have visitors, and we have many visitors on an ongoing basis. And many of those who come to check us out actually end up continuing to come back and staying with us and studying with us and ultimately studying God's Word to the point where they understand what they need to do to become a child of God, repenting of their sins, confessing their faith in Christ as God's Son and their Lord and Savior, and surrendering to Him in baptism for the remission of their sins, and then beginning to walk that new life in Christ that Paul talks about, the Apostle Paul, that is, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, that reborn life that Jesus taught Nicodemus about in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And, And so they have begun a new life and how blessed we are to have that chance to have a do-over, so to speak, a new beginning, a new start, that second chance again. And God offers us all of that through Jesus Christ. You know, many people, they look at their lives and they think, you know, hopeless. I've just really messed up my life. I, I don't really have any hope. I don't know what to do. But God offers you hope. God offers you forgiveness. He offers you the opportunity to be born again through Christ as you're baptized into him. He offers you the chance to start over. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to erase all of the consequences physically of maybe mistakes that you've made. But spiritually, you get to start again. You get to have all of those sins completely wiped away. No more memory of them in God's mind. You get a new start. And as you begin again, as you get that new start spiritually, well, that's going to help you to get a new start in every other aspect of your life as well. So we're really blessed to have that opportunity. And we're so thankful to hear from our listeners and, again, to be able to meet many of you face-to-face as you come and visit with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Now, at the end of the program today, be sure to have a piece of paper and a pencil or pen ready and jot down the information by which you can contact us. We'll give you our phone number. We'll give you our mailing address. We'll give you our our email address. And you can always go to our website, again, at churchofchrist.com, and you can contact us that way. We'd love to hear from you. And what we really want to encourage you to do is ask for the free Bible study that we always offer. It is a very basic study right from God's Word, very scriptural. It will lead you to understand how you can walk with God, how you can get that second chance, that new beginning. 
So have that piece of paper and pencil or pen ready. You can jot down that information. The study is free. It's always free. We'll even take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD and again for free and we'll take care of the postage. So be sure, be ready. We'll give you that information in just a little while. Now we're going to begin to dig a little bit deeper into this new series of studies that, we're, that we have launched into in our last program. And we're asking the question, or talking about rather, the kind of love, you could ask the question, what kind of love fulfills and sustains marriage? But we want to look at it from a positive perspective. We want to talk about love that fulfills and sustains marriage. Now in our last program, we introduced this line of study. And I really got deep, I really got deep talking about how we in this country have really messed up our culture and our society, and thereby we're messing up our nation. We're weakening our country because of our really poor understanding of and actions in regard to love that forms families. We have bought into some kind of social experiment that has already been recognized as a failure, but so many people, they have not come to realize that, so they still are going along with the social experiment of saying, we don't really need to be married, to be loving to one another, to be committed to one another. But again, and I've said this many times in this program and in my teaching and preaching in congregations around the country, if you're really committed to each other, why don't you go ahead and get married? Well, the response because, well, well, no, we don't have to be committed to be married. You've answered the whole question. You're not really committed. If you were committed, you'd go ahead and be married and raise your children in a stable home, a stable environment. But because you're not really committed, you won't get married. And what you're doing, now you wouldn't admit this openly, but what you're doing is you're leaving yourself an out. So that if things get bad in your mind, or you get attracted to something else or somebody else, you can get out of that relationship easily. And to some extent, without a great deal of legal uh, problems that you might imagine in your mind that formal marriage will bring you. Well, you're still going to have legal problems if you're raising children outside of marriage because you say, I'm, I'm going to leave. Well, okay, well, now you're still going to have to pay child support. You're still going to, to have some legal responsibilities toward your children. But you see, you're not really committed. That's why you won't get married. Now, I know that some people say, well, it causes some financial problems because of government assistance and all of that. Government assistance does not supersede God's will. When we follow God's will, we'll always be best. It'll always be the best course of life for us. The government is not our God. Never can be never should be, never will be. We need to follow God God's way. And his way is a whole lot wiser and a whole lot better than anything the government or any kind of social uh, engineering can offer us. 
We need to simply do it God's way. Now, as I said in the first program in this series, and I was just talking about introductory materials, we are increasingly dependent upon broken homes to raise stable adults. I pointed out that the home is the basic unit of society. Everything that a society is, everything that a culture becomes, and thereby everything that a nation develops into begins in the home because the home is where children are born into. And the home is supposed to be the incubator of the next generation of adults that will take their place in society and thereby form the culture, or develop the culture at least, and become the nation, the heart of the nation. But when you have broken homes, then children are growing up in an environment that is unstable. Now, people may get up in arms about that and say, you, you don't tell me it's not stable. I, I work in three jobs to raise our children and put food in the table and support them. It's not stable in the sense that they don't grow up with a mama and a daddy in front of them. And so young boys grow up not knowing what they're supposed to become as a man or as a husband or as a father because they don't have that father figure there. Or if they're being raised by their father but not their mother, they don't know what they're supposed to look for in a, in, a, in a wife. They don't know what a woman is supposed to be, a mother, a wife, that mother figure. And the same thing is true about young girls who are growing up in a single-parent home or in a single-parent home with new men coming in and going out all the time on a regular rotating basis. They don't know what they're supposed to look for in a man. They don't know what a man is supposed to be. They don't know what a husband, a father is supposed to be. They don't know what they're supposed to be as a wife because they don't see that kind of environment in their home. That system is missing. And so they grow up and single children from single parent homes tend to be to establish their own single-parent homes. And that is becoming more and more of the percentage of the homes within our nation. And so another, another kind of technical uh, description of those kinds of homes is dysfunctional homes, meaning they're not all together. There are missing parts there. And so when you have missing parts, it's difficult for children to grow up and become totally prepared to take their place as adults within that society. And so when they've got some missing information, the culture suffers. And as the culture suffers, the nation becomes less and less stable and strong. Now, you can disagree with all of this, but I'm talking about basic facts. And we're watching it all happen right before our eyes in our country today, and it's been going on that way for a long time. Now, I ask the question, what kind of love should be the basis for forming and sustaining a quality marriage? And then I made the point that lust is not love. Lust is biological, it's hormonal, but it's not love. Sex by itself is not love. Animals have sex. There are a whole lot of people who practice sex without love. 
they really don't want to get into that whole love thing because, again, that goes with commitment and all of that stuff, and they just want to have sex. They want to have, again, a hormonal or physical release, but they don't want to really get all caught up in the love thing. They have sex that is devoid of love. They have sex that is completely separate from love. A marriage that is based primarily upon sex will almost always fail. And a marriage that is entered into primarily out of lust for one another, well, again, that is probably almost always going to fail and probably won't last very long. The beginning of the love that leads to marriage is largely emotional, and it is based on various kinds of attractions. Physical appearance would be the first obvious one. You see somebody and you say, whoa, he really looks good, or she is really hot. Expressions like that. So first, there's an emotional attraction based upon appearance, but then other emotional factors figure in, like that person, I really respect that person. Look at how they've treated me. Really impressive behavior. And then there's also common interests, the way that person treats that individual. And so those kinds of things, they kind of kick off or get started what develops into love. That's good. But now the love that is going to fulfill and sustain marriage in its fullest sense, has to get beyond emotion. That love has to develop into something deeper, something more profound in order to truly fulfill and sustain the marriage relationship on a lasting basis and for that marriage to be able to become all that God designed it to be. Here's the principle that I want to try to get across. Throughout this study, a husband and wife need to love each other as God loves them. Now let me say that again. A husband and wife need to love each other as God loves them. If they can love each other, with the same quality of love as much as they can achieve that quality because they're not God, they're still human beings. But if they can, if they can love each other with that same basic quality of love with which God loves them, they're going to stay together and they're going to stay in love and they're going to be happy and fulfilled in their marriage relationship they're going to have a good life together. And their children are going to see that life as the example that is before them every day of their lives as they're growing up, the example of what marriage really is supposed to be and what it can be. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and this is going to be our basic text throughout this study. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, through the first eight verses, talks about love. Now, he's talking about a quality of love that, again, we have a difficult time with. 
In the Greek language, and the New Testament was, orig was originally written in Greek, there are a number of different words that are translated simply love in our English language. But each of those different words is an expression of a different kind of love or a particular quality of love. And what Paul, the word that he's translate that he's using here in the first eight verses of first Corinthians chapter 13 is agape love we don't have a translation for agape love not in a single word and so it's simply translated as love the King James version had translated it charity I believe well that really does not get it across to us love okay but see we think of love and we think of Oh yeah, husband and wife, they love each other. A mama loves her children. The children love their mama. Daddy loves his son and his son loves his daddy. But you know, daddy also loves peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The little boy loves candy and chocolate cake. Little girl loves roses. <laughs> we use the same word to describe a whole lot of different reactions to different things within our lives. We simply say love. It helps when we understand that Paul is using a particular Greek word here, and that is agape. And in the Greek language, that was the highest form of love, the highest quality of love. It was a love that was not based upon primarily emotion. It was a love that was not based upon simply saying, well, you loved me, so I'm going to love you. This kind of love is a love of determination. I'm going to love you. I don't want you to love me. That's up to you, but I'm going to love you anyway. I've made up my mind that I will love you. You can treat me disrespectfully. You can hurt me. You can be mean to me. You can call me names. That's not going to change the fact that I will love you. Now, some people will define agape love as, as not a love of emotion. I, I, you know, I have a difficult time with that. I believe if we really employ, if we really embody, embody agape love, there's going to be some natural emotion that goes with that. But it is not primarily based upon emotion, and it is not driven by emotion, primarily. Agape love is a love of determination. I will love you. I've made up my mind to love you. Now, that's the love that is talked about throughout these eight verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So Paul first, he writes and he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, he says, real love, it's not a show. And it's not a lot of words primarily. It's not a lot of noise. Real love is something much deeper. You can do all the right things outwardly and physically, but if it's devoid of this true, most deep and abiding determination and commitment of love, 
then you might just be making a lot of noise. Might just be putting on a show. He goes on in the next verse and says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. You see, again, there needs to be something centralized within our spiritual lives even that really make our spiritual lives more complete and truly spiritual. Now, should I be doing good things in the name of God, serving him? No question about that. But I need to be motivated by the right love as I do all of those things. In the next verse, he goes on and says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You see, God is not just an action-blessing God. He wants us to put our faith into action through good works and serving him. James goes into tremendous detail in James chapter 2 about that. But God is also a motive-blessing God. What is behind our actions? Now, let's read the next several verses down through verse 8. And then we'll stop and park and we'll come back and pick this up next time. Start looking at it detail by detail. So he's talked about what love is not. Now he's going to talk about what love is. Beginning with verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own, is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. We're talking about a special quality of love, a love that will fulfill and sustain marriage like no other love can. Just a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us. Write down that information and then contact us and ask for the free materials we've talked about. We hope to hear from you right away.